are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jacob Goins on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Middle of the week. Jacob, how's it going? It's going good, man. Hump day here in Auburn, Alabama. That's right. What about that game last night? Ooh, man. Well, man, we talked about it yesterday, and I said it should be a game that Auburn would win hey i said put your life savings on auburn to win and sure enough they did so but you were concerned i was sweating (laughs) i was sweating about the 10 minute mark in the second half yesterday even when auburn was winning it just never felt like it and they only got up by one or two points but man what man what a test for auburn basketball job of the hut made its appearance as in just auburn being auburn just auburn being auburn that that's about the most auburn thing you could do is get your first ever number one ranking and then lose it and they did everything in their power to try to do that that's right if people didn't understand what i was going for there jabba the hut is in the acronym jabba j-a-b-a i figured out i've never heard that but i like that j-a-b-a i like that yeah jabba the hut or me calling somebody jabba the hut did not appear at the game last (laughs) night but auburn of course held on to beat missouri 55 to 54 and I was fully prepared to come in today upset saying you want to talk about bias about Auburn just look at them lose this game the first time they get onto the stage but they didn't and they held on and throughout the entire game and I was expecting the second half to be better it wasn't they never quite found their footing in the game and the defense is what pulled them through all they needed as in Missouri all Missouri needed was one more run to put Auburn away and they couldn't and Auburn was just able from a defensive standpoint They held Missouri without a field goal for like seven minutes in the second half. There was a stretch of seven minutes where they didn't have a field goal. The defense is what held it together because Auburn's offense never figured it out. And we knew this was going to happen at some point. We knew Auburn was going to have a game like this. I kept saying to myself, I said, look, you just got to get back to the Plains. And the second half was like, look, Auburn's just got to win this game. Get back to the Plains because everything's going to be fine against Oklahoma. And they're going to shoot the basketball well. They're going to win some games. I legit, and I can't wait till Hot Tech Wednesday, I don't see this team losing again. I don't see this happening again. Even after last night? I don't see it happening again. I'm not worried about it. I'm holding to what I said yesterday about this team and how it should be favored in every single game it plays and that it really is hard to find a team that can beat this team. Auburn played as bad as it could have yesterday. As bad as it could have. the defense, right? The defense, I thought, played well especially in the second half. The first 15 minutes or so of the game, it wasn't great. Missouri was shooting about 50%. But the defense played well in the second half. The defense, if it was worse, they lose. But the defense is always going to be there. It's always going to travel. That is something that is innately ingrained in this team. That is going to be something that is independent of them shooting the basketball well. They may not be able to find their footing offensively in a couple other games this year. That happens. Teams shoot the basketball poorly. The defense ought to always be there because that's an effort thing. You control that. Your legs just aren't going to disappear in a game, right? Now other teams may go crazy and start just dropping shots left and right 
in your eyeballs, but the odds of teams, if you're playing a high level of defense, the odds of teams sustaining that for an entire game is just not going to happen. And Missouri was doing that for the first 15 minutes. And then that disappeared, right? So my statement is still being proven true from last night and all across this season. I just don't see Auburn failing again like this. I don't see Auburn playing this bad. Well, you, you hit the nail right on the head. When it comes to defense, it travels because you said it. That's an effort thing. And especially with a Bruce Pearl coach basketball team, that's going to be something that's instilled in their hearts and their brains. And that's not something that's going to ever go away. But like you said, shooting the basketball, that's as bad as we're going to see from Auburn this season. It was historically And they bad. still didn't lose. And they still didn't lose. <clears throat> and that was a terrible game from Jabari Smith. The, the guy shot 2 of 15 from the field, had 5 points. That's something we're also not going to see ever again. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. Shane on the line with us. Shane, what's up? Hey, guys. How y'all? Doing well. How are you? I'm well. Uh, just had a couple of things that you guys don't mind. Uh, the game last night, it, it was the first game that I was legit scared in the second half. <laughs> like every other game, you know, we've been down double digits, and, and I'm like, I'm not even I'm not worried. I, I know the team. I, I, this game felt a little different. It wasn't that they were sluggish. I don't know what it was. I, 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 and I'm with you. I don't see it happening again at, at all. I think this was our one, our one uh, game that we could have lost, um, and we didn't. You know, by the skin of our teeth. I mean, goodness. But Katie Johnson is amazing. Um, I can think of a few games. It's because of him that we've won, and, and for sure this game. Um, well, there's no doubt that KD Johnson he showed up and he played and he carried this team. And you heard the coach from, or you heard the quote from Coach Pearl. He said it best. I mean, give KD Johnson the basketball, and there's a reason yeah. that he's on this team. Get out of the way. Exactly, and get out of the way. But Shane, let me give you this: Auburn this season, they've been down by double digits and come back to win five different times. Four of those have been on the road, and that's what shows, and that's what tells how oh, yeah. strong and good this basketball team is. Yeah, even though like a like I don't remember. I think the, I think we shot nineteen percent. It, it was either nineteen in the first half or nineteen overall. Nineteen percent. Well, we shot 30% overall for the game, Auburn did. Uh, first half definitely wasn't good, but yeah, 30% for the game and 21% from three. So, And the free throws weren't even that good either, 63%. So shooting the ball, it was a historically bad night for Auburn, one of the worst shooting performances they've had in a win in the last 20 seasons of the program. I think I think it was just a, like, a, like, a little, like a little bug. You had to get it out, you had to get it over with, and, um, and now that they did, I think they'll be more focused. I don't see. I'm with you. I don't see it happen. I don't see it coming close like this again. Um, especially until the, the NCAA tournament, and then you know you might get some some close games. I don't see it playing bad though again. Uh, we might have close games. I don't see it playing like that anymore. Um, and that's that's my opinion. Hey, um, do we have some hurt? I know Bur the Burminators is, is is he still hurt? And and it seems like we're we're short like three dudes or something uh in our rotation well uh berminator leor berman that is he's got a foot injury right now um at least that's the word bruce pearl saying that he's he's still out whatever's going on with his foot uh, the the terminology that he said it was his foot's messed up and so we'll see what happens with him getting back but you're right i mean chris moore doesn't really play ever this is i, I don't want to say it's a tighter rotation than we're used to bruce pearl seeing because he's still he still is a 
he goes deeper into his bench than most coaches in college basketball. Like Coach K wait, wait, at Duke, wait, wait, he's going to play seven or eight guys. Did we have like? Did, but did we have eleven? It, 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 you know, most, early season, I could have sworn we had like you know ten players yeah. that were playing. Um, so I'm just, I don't know if, if if we're just trying to fine tune, you know, four, you know, five, and then and then and then four to, to replace those or or, or what? But it's in like at least you know two are, are, are missing from the rotation. I don't know who it is. I can't think of it right now. Well, we can count it out right here. Oh, Jake, who? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, yeah, stretch. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what? Because <laughs> JT <laughs> Thor is in the NBA and he's playing well, let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> um, stretch just, I, I just don't think he's a part of the rotation. Front court's really crowded. And I don't expect I don't expect him to play hardly ever this year unless it gets to he's one of the guys that comes in in the final minutes when Auburn's up big. There's just now, not enough minutes to go around at this point with this basketball yeah. team. I mean, there's just not enough yeah. minutes. There's only 40 minutes of game time, and there's too many guys that play 30, 35 minutes. What do you guys think is going on uh, in Tuscaloosa right now? <laughs> That's a team that can play great one day and play bad the next. Uh, I'll tell you, they're a team that I never want to play because I, I know how good they can be. But they I also, be, but they don't have chemistry right no, now. No, yeah, you're it's right. It's like it's like it's like a, every person for themselves, kind of. The, from what I've seen, it didn't look like they like, played hard last night either. Uh, they are not yeah. good enough to not play hard, and their offense isn't good enough for them to be that lackadaisical on defense and rebounding. They just they don't do those two te- those two things well. The front court's not great. There's a lot of issues with that basketball team. But the big thing is when they play well, they're. They can beat anybody. That's the thing. That's why I would rather just stay away from Alabama. But when they come to Auburn, you know, I, I imagine Auburn's going to be prepared to win handily. Yeah. All right, guys. War Eagle. War Eagle to you as well, Shane. Thanks for the call. I want to go back to uh, some of the stuff he was talking about with the basketball team and why I think this team's not going to play like this again. I legit don't believe Auburn can play this bad offensively again this year. And it still couldn't have been beat. Now, if, if they were playing Mississippi State last night, if they were playing Kentucky last night, if they were playing literally anyone else in the league last night, I even think if they played Georgia last night, they lose. Because Georgia's a better offensive team, right? And I told you about that, and that's why we I hit the nail on the head with the Georgia-Alabama game. We said that yep. was possible last yep. night for Alabama to lose, and guess what? It happened. It Alabama happened. lost. And so Missouri's one of the most inconsistent, and, and on their worst nights can be one of the poorest offensive teams in the league. They can also heat up. And guess what we said about yesterday's Auburn-Missouri game? We said that Missouri, very well, I could see this game. I, I did not feel confident in Auburn covering last night. I didn't. And for a lot of different reasons. That's not a knock against Auburn. I just knew Missouri could open up hot. They have the propensity to, to be inconsistent, even in the, in the course of a span of a game. And that's what happened last night. They started hot. Auburn started slow, never really found its footing. I just don't expect Auburn to play this bad offensively again against anybody, and the defense is always going to be there. I, I just don't. Auburn threw its weakest punch last night and still knocked out the opponent like I just yeah and we talked about it with Missouri shooting the three ball better in conference play and that's exactly what they did the first 15 minutes of the game it seemed like they couldn't miss from behind the arc the crowd got going and Auburn faced an SEC road game a tough SEC road game for the first time this season and they ended up responding not well but good enough to win and that's how it's going to be. But like you said, if Auburn would have played Mississippi State or a Georgia team like they played Bama last night or a Kentucky, something like that, yeah, they probably would have lost. But they didn't. They played Missouri. They beat the team that was in front of them. And, again, and I think they're going to get back at home and they're going to get comfortable again I as agree. Well. And Jabari Smith, like I said, he shot two for 15, had five points. That's not going to happen again. 
I'm telling you, that will not happen again. Wendell Green didn't have a good game. Allen Flanagan didn't have a good game. None of those guys had a good game. But KD Johnson and Walker Kessler stepped up. And that's what's great about this team right now is there's so many guys that can step up and carry this team on any given night. That's what makes them so dangerous. And looking at takeaways from the game last night, shot selection wasn't great at times. I felt like Auburn was... But there's shots that we've seen taken all year long, right? And last night, they just weren't dropping at any point. You know what I mean? Like, Auburn was 6 for 28 from 3, and they just couldn't get some of these shots that were used to them hitting. Fadeaway threes in a corner, right? And it's like, splash, and you're expecting to see that. And it's like, when are these shots ever going to fall? But Auburn still shot 42 shots inside the arc last night. Only got fouled. Uh, only got to the charity stripe 11 times. I, I, I Officiating was not at its peak last night. And, man, I gave him, gave him a shout-out yesterday on the show. Now, I'm not going to blame last night on the officials because I think last night's performance was independent of the officiating 100%. But Auburn attacked the rim. There were times where Jalen Williams or, or Jabari Smith would do a hook shot two feet away from the bucket, ball rims out, and it's like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? I mean, and, and wondering why that happened last night, it's just sometimes – you just never find your footing, and you just can't get the shot to go in. Sometimes it's just not your night, and it was the the talent is still there. I just don't think it's going to happen like that again. And if Auburn's playing great offensively, no team's going to be able to beat them in college basketball unless they have an outrageous performance on both sides of the basketball. I think this team's that talented, and last night showed me this team at its worst point, at at its lowest. I mean, this team shot thirty percent, twenty two percent from three. Auburn never does this. And, that's, and that kind of performance is contagious. Just as much as when the team is on and one or two guys start getting hot, it, it reflects on everybody and everybody picks that up. It's the same way when, when guys are missing shots. When the team is cold, they're cold. And that's okay. That's how it goes in college basketball. Every single night can't be your night. That's why we haven't had an undefeated team in how many years? So it happens. It happens. And the one thing I wanted to point out, it was a tweet from Justin Ferguson last night who said, Auburn's effective field goal percentage at Missouri was 34.3%. That's the lowest for a win in Auburn history since 2003. Think about that. So they shot the worst they've shot in a basketball game in 18 years, and they still won on the road. Breaking down some of the box score last night, Auburn is, is extremely deep, and we've talked about this. And last night showed that even more so than I think it has at other points. Because we've talked about how deep Auburn is with like all the players playing well. Like you have, a, you have a full team of guys that have played well. Last night showed you how deep Auburn is when everybody's not playing well and you just need someone to get you over the finish line. And those two players were Walker Kessler and Katie Johnson. Those were the only two guys that were efficient last night. Walker Kessler was 5 for 10. Katie Johnson was 6 for 13. Jabari Smith was 2 for 15. Alan Flanagan was 1 for 6. Zepp Jasper, 1 for 3. Jalen Williams, 1 for 4. Dylan Cardwell, 1 for 2 across 7 minutes. De uh, Devin Cambridge was 2 for 8. Wendell Green was 2 for 9. You needed somebody to get you over the edge. And that was Auburn's depth last night. If that was any other team in, in college basketball, they lose last night. There's no doubt about it. Because they don't they have those extra guys. And shout out to Devin Cambridge, who came in and played significant minutes in the second half. Shout out Jalen Williams, significant minutes in the first half. Didn't show up points-wise. He only had the three points. But I feel like he really came in and played a good game offensively in the first half, Jalen Williams did. And the second half was Devin Cambridge. KD Johnson, Walker Kessler, yeah, they went off, did their thing, scored their points. Devin Cambridge had nine offensive rebounds in the second half. He Those only are, had nine rebounds, period. They were all offensive rebounds. He every, team, every single time the ball went up, he was flying in from the three-point line, crashing the boards. That's the type of effort that you have to have coming off the bench to be a championship-caliber basketball team. Those are the effort plays that make 
Auburn win basketball games. That's what gives your chance, your team a chance at second chance points, two and three shots per possession. And those things just add up to championship level basketball. I don't want to go here because I know that he is a fan favorite, but this is just the, the critiquing and, and the objectively looking at the team and, and something that could improve Auburn moving forward. Just, I like Alan Flanagan a lot, and he is a fan favorite. There's a disconnect right now, I think, and I would like to see more Devin Cambridge. Now, granted, Devin Cambridge was two for eight last night and over two from three, but he found ways to contribute outside of scoring. Alan Flanagan's box score last night in 28 minutes, in 28 minutes last night for Alan Flanagan, one for six from the floor, 0 for two from three. He had two points, two fouls, four turnovers. Outside of those, he was he had a block, had a steal, two assists, and four rebounds. But that's in 28 minutes. Devin Cambridge comes in in 19 minutes and has nine offensive rebounds and one turnover and four points. And that's the difference. I mean, that and that's the difference. I like Alan Flanagan. I think he's a great athlete. I but, think he's a good representative of Auburn. I just I don't know if we're getting what you need from him right now. But I, there's times and it I, I felt it last night when he had the ball, bringing it up the floor and running the half court offense. I feel like he's got flashbacks of last season where he was the go-to guy. He was the guy that we needed, that Auburn needed, to get a bucket. And it's not that he can't do it, but his consistency has not been there enough for Auburn to be good. Having Allen Flanagan handle the ball in the half-court offense is not what's going to win basketball games. And I think he can play his role. He's going to have to figure out what that new role is with Jabari, Walker, KD, Wendell, on this not team. shooting threes not shooting honest, threes it's not shooting threes and it and it may be he's a big guy I mean the dude's he's got some size the best thing about his skill set is ability to attack the rim and finish and that's exactly where you want him he's got a pretty good mid-range game that has not left yep. him but the step back three the jab step three he has only had two games that he's played this year where he's made a three two games this year where he's made a three and he's played in eight games now that says and it he's all. only and he's only made a three in two in two of those games and he made two threes in both of those games he's shooting 25 percent right now from three he's missing he, he like i said he's only had two games where he's hit a three he's he's averaging probably about 6.1 attempts per game when he comes in and he's shooting 43 percent from the floor which is not bad i like the 43 percent from the floor part but there's times where i get the feeling that it's four on five out there and that's because i don't quite there's a disconnect and we knew that this was going to happen we knew that he was going to have to find a way to gel with this team and how Auburn worked him back in and how he was going to fit with the, all of these pieces. We knew it was going to take time, and I think it is still taking some time. It hasn't been figured out after eight games. But I would like he struggled last night, and I would have liked to have seen more of some other players down the stretch than Alan Flanagan when things – clearly there's a disconnect on offense because he, he's not he's – not, Sometimes it does feel like it's four on five. It really does. And he's a guard, okay? And here's the thing about guards, especially point guards, but shooting guards as well. Here's the stat that I always look at. And I know we talked about yesterday, stats don't tell the whole story, but I think this one does. And you can visibly see it when he handles the basketball in the half court. This season in the eight games that he's played, he's averaging 1.5 assists per game to two, but turnovers. two turnovers. The guard ratio has got to be two to one assist to turnover ratio. That is a successful guard play is two to one. He's, op he's averaging the opposite, and that's not what you need from your guard. You can't have him turning the ball over making bad and taking bad shots. That doesn't turn show up as a turnover, but a bad shot is a turnover and a run out for the other team, and that's just not what Auburn needs from Alan Fanagan. So he's going to have to figure out his new role, figure out how he can play in this new style of offense and see how he can help this team the best. Let's take a quick break here on On the Line.
Back on On the Line. Noah Gardner with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with me as well. Fun show so far today. Going to head to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390. Terry with us. Terry, what's up? How you doing, Noah? Doing well. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Jacob, how you doing? Doing well, man. How are you doing today? Doing great. Jacob, after I called yesterday, you, you gave a, a little uh, about how you disagreed with me on the Brian Harson comments I made about how he was in the jungle with the guys at the basketball game uh-huh. uh, Saturday and how you haven't heard a lot of things I said about I don't think he's happy at Auburn. I think he regrets taking the job. But I don't think he wants to be there, period. Okay. Um, where do you stand on the where do you stand on the fact that and it's not my opinion, it's a fact that he that Chris Peterson pushed him for the Washington job and he was interested in the Oregon job. Well, I mean, here's the thing about it. He's a West Those Coast are facts, guy. Jacob, that's not my opinion. I oh I I agree. I agree. He's a West Coast guy, came from Boise State. So there's no doubt about it that he probably had interest in those types of jobs out there. There's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day, now that he's here and now that he is trying to build this program, I really do think he wants to be at Auburn. But there's no doubt, you're 100% right, that he probably indeed did have interest for a Washington or a West Coast job because that's where he's from. Yeah, see, I see, I, I, I see where you're coming from there, but at the same time, I don't remember now. This, I don't have much of a memory, but I don't remember Pat Dye or Tuberville or any of those other Chiswick, Bowden, any of those guys going out and pursuing other jobs when they were at Auburn. And maybe they did, maybe they didn't. And here's the thing: there's only so much that we know on that side of it. Whether they pursue another job or not, we don't really know. We only know what they tell us. So on that, I don't have a whole lot to say because I don't remember that either. But. He probably – Harson had interest, but at this point in his career and his after his first year, I really still believe he wants to be at Auburn. Uh, keep something in mind. I see a lot of predictions, guys, especially Auburn finished last in the way. He finished last in the, the five and seven season. Those are some of the predictions I'm seeing. Now, that's just way too early to be making predictions, but that's what sells magazines and things like that. You guys know that. Of course. Um, um, you know, I, just because of plan – everybody says he has a plan – well, just because the plan worked in Boise, Idaho, don't mean it's going to work in Auburn in the Southeastern Conference. I agree. That's, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. I agree. So are you worried that Brian Harson is trying to make Auburn into Boise State? Is that your concern? Um, no, no. I just, I'm just saying what works out there is not going to work at Auburn. And, and, and he seems to be with a guy that wants a, like a drop-back passer, a quarterback, not a guy scramble around. Now, Noah can tell you I'm not the biggest Bo Nix supporter defender in the world, <laughs> but if that had been for Bo Nix's mobility, he wouldn't have beat LSU. He made some plays in that LSU game where mobility was obviously a factor of, and of course, the big play to score the touchdown. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can get behind that. I mean, do you guys really believe, you know, with Troxel and, and Council and Brown, those guys on the offensive line coming back, they're going to be that much better as far as – I just think they're going to be a year more experienced but still very average. You know, I, I mean, I, nothing against those guys. I'm sure they try very hard, and I'm sure they work even harder. But at the same time, the truth is the truth. I have a little bit of a different viewpoint on the offensive line from a pass protection standpoint than, than most people. I, I thought they were good in about nine games this year, which, which is not good enough. I agree. We're not, we're not trying to just be good nine games. They're The best defensive lines of the SEC still will beat them. But I think Auburn's true issue wasn't necessarily pass protection this year. It was run blocking and that it put the quarterback and the receivers in these situations and the offensive line in these situations where it was third down and eight, third down and nine, 
and that's going to require a longer developing pass play, which is then going to put the offensive line and pass protection for longer. Opposing teams are then going to blitz. The receivers weren't good at getting open. I think it was a lot of stuff from from that stemmed off of Auburn not being a balanced offense this year. If they could have run blocked better, I think things would have been different from, believe it or not, a pass protection standpoint, because I think you get more favorable third downs than Auburn did this year. I don't yeah. think they were incredible in pass blocking, no way, but they were like top 30 in the country in sacks allowed, which Alabama couldn't even claim to be in the top 100, right? So I don't think they were horrible. Well, if, 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 if the run blocking is true to what you say, and I believe you know then I'm Trevante Citizen. They don't, they don't have a shot at him. Because <laughs> if I'm a running back, why would I want to come do that? And I hope that you know, maybe I'm not it was saying steam. they won't get him. I'm just saying that that's got a, that's factoring the kid's decision. It's yeah. a fair point. I mean, it's a fair point, and it's something that recruits look at. They do, especially running backs like that. If Auburn has poor offensive line run blocking play, that's something they take into consideration. Well, and Auburn recruit needs a wide receiver, but a wide receiver's not going to come not play with with average quarterback play. Right again. I that's mean, why I, there's I, no receivers yeah. at Auburn yet. Yep, that's why Auburn's struggling in the wide receiver room because there's no set quarterback that can prove he can he can play there's five guys in the room right now fighting for the same job so and i do not believe in zach galzada at all you know i i I believe in what this coaching staff can do in terms of developing quarterbacks i i still think a lot of auburn's issues at quarterback play extends beyond the position itself uh could be coaching it could be you know at times pass protection as we were just talking about but also receiver play there's just a lot stacked up against them and has any of that improved your guess is as good as mine, Terry, and I just understand your stance on it. It has not improved, so I'm just I'm waiting and seeing. I understand that I can't predict the future, but I am waiting and seeing. Last thing, guys, I'll tell you what I do like. I do like Landon King at wide receiver, not tied in, because I think he's way more having. Besides, the wide receivers now are big, strong guys. Yeah, he's a Kyle Pitts type receiver. Not, not right. as good, of course, because that's a high bar to clear. But he definitely should be playing in the slot. All right. Take care, guys. Have a great day. Appreciate it, Terry. That was Terry on the line with us here. Anything else to add? I mean, he makes fair points. He really does. Um, when it comes to Brian Harson, again, he had he had the interest of other jobs. He's a West Coast guy, and I'm sure he I'm sure he looked. I'm, I'm not I'm sold sure that he wanted that he was seeking them. No. Now, I do agree. I think that those schools may have had interest in him? Probably so. And I mean, did he listen? Yeah, probably. And and he should because that's his ex mentor. Chris Peterson is his ex-mentor. If he comes calling, you do him the respect of listening to him. But the fact that Brian Harson's at Auburn tells me he wants to be at Auburn. And I, that's what I've, I'm standing on that, and I firmly believe it because I don't think there's been a reason for him to change his mind. It's only been one year. It's only been one year. They're getting, he's getting a new football facility. He's getting recruits, and he's enjoying the moment. He's living in Auburn and coaching at Auburn and trying to embrace the Auburn family, Auburn atmosphere. So I, tr- I firmly believe that Brian Hartson still wants to be at Auburn. And the players being here as well, returning, I, I still point to, I'm taking the pulse of the players. I'm trying to keep an eye on the players to see how they're responding. And they're responding positively. Because they're the ones that matter at the end of the day. Let's take a break. We'll be back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Jacob Goins with you. 
for the Wednesday edition of the show. 30 minutes in. Thank you to all the callers out there. We're going to step aside from taking calls as we've now got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us on the show today. Justin, how's it going today? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Doing really well. And we want to open it up with football with our conversation with you, with Derek Mason headed to Oklahoma State. Of course, we've had a lot of callers. We've had a lot of people wondering. It's kind of uneasy just with all the turnover on the defensive side of the football. What is your – when you're taking the pulse of this situation on the defensive side of the football and all the coaching changes, what is your vibe you're getting on this side of the football? Yeah, I think Auburn is in a spot where, you know, there's going to be a transition. There's going to be some – you know, there's going to be some growing pains, I think. But ultimately, I'm, I'm on the side that I think Auburn's defense is going to be fine moving forward. They bring back a lot of talent, especially up front. Um, having Owen Papo back is going to be big. They reloaded in the secondary well. Um, and there's continuity. Uh, there's continuity with, you know, when you lose a guy like Derek Mason and you're having to replace a coordinator, this is a situation where you bring somebody in, um, you know, you promote somebody from within, and I think you're going to have a, a level of continuity, a level of familiarity. Uh, where this defense that was pretty solid for Auburn this past season has a real chance to be that way again. Now there's going to be adjustments. Um, you know, there's going to be there's going to be an effect of, of losing Derrick Mason. That's obvious. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that uh, you know you have somebody in place that Brian Harson trusts and and gets along with, and um, you know you have you're bringing in two new uh, assistant coaches on on the defense side that have experience in the SEC. Um, you know, and, and including one in, in, in Jimmy Brumball that, you know, played at Auburn. And so is very familiar with the program. So, you know, I, it, it always losing a coach and a coordinator is going to have some sort of effects. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like over time. But I do think Auburn handled it in a pretty good way because, um, because of what they already had on staff there and on top of that, um, who they were able to bring in. Justin Ferguson, Jacob Goins here. I wanted to ask you, I guess, two similar questions. Are One, are you surprised that Derek Mason only survived the one year at Auburn? Because there's always been – there was word in the last few weeks of the season that Schmetting was calling the plays on defense, and I think it was pretty visible in the Alabama game and the Houston game. So are you surprised that Derek Mason is no longer at Auburn? And then also are you surprised that he's already taken the job at Oklahoma State? Yeah, not surprised he's already taking the job at Oklahoma State. Um, it, it did seem like after the season there was more buzz that, you know, Mason would not be at Auburn in 2022. That picked up a couple of weeks ago and really in earnest. Um, I think Mason, he was linked to a number of jobs uh, other than the Oklahoma State job, so it wasn't kind of out of left field. Um, but, you know, it, it did kind of approach a spot where it felt like he wasn't going to be back. Uh, just, you know, a uh, hire that made sense on paper. I think it worked, uh, but obviously there was not a fit uh, there. There were there were reasons, um, and, you know, I think only Derek Mason will, will, will know those reasons specifically. Um, you know, why, why you choose to leave Auburn for a job like Oklahoma State where it's not a clear upgrade, it's not a, you know, it's, it's a lateral move at best. So, you know, I, I not – super super surprising i think maybe going to oklahoma state's kind of the one that is that that's the aspect of it that is surprising but no i, I think uh i think it was getting kind of obvious here there towards the end uh that auburn was um already kind of planning for life without uh Derek mason and Derek mason was already planning to to be somewhere else and, and oklahoma state ended up being that spot 
Of course, we we all feel I, – I, I agree with you. I feel comfortable with the direction the defense is heading before, whether Mason or, or Schmetting is at the top. But the, the buzzword is, is the offense, right, and, and what direction it's going mm-hmm. in right now and and how, how secure do we feel despite the fact that several players, several veterans, especially on the offensive line, have said they're coming back. After all the transfers that we've seen come in through the door and right now it's pretty quiet everywhere else, uh, what, what is your feeling on the offense moving forward? Yeah, it's going to come down to uh, you know how well this this quarterback situation, this wide receiver room can develop. I mean, that's that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. I don't think there's going to be at this point. I don't think there's going to be any heroes coming through that door. Um, you know, in terms of guys that you would say immediately, okay, that that brings Auburn to a whole different level. I mean, those those superstar type of players, just you know, I don't think they're coming, uh, and I don't think there's very many of them out there to begin with. Um, so uh, it's going to have to come down to what Auburn's gotten already in the portal. Uh, and, you know, they could probably add a wide receiver or two. Uh, I think, you know, at this point, though, you're looking at somebody who's going to come in after spring ball. So, you know, there's there's going to be kind of a cap on that, on, you know, you know what you can get out of them before you get into the season. Um, but, yeah, it's just, I mean, you, you bring back so many guys on the offensive line and you, you keep the same offensive line coach, it uh, looks like, you know, you could expect – you could it could be a whole lot worse on the offensive line, right? You know, you, you feel like there's experience there, and it's better than hitting the reset button because if Auburn was going to have to hit the reset button on the offensive line, they were going to have to hit the portal hard, and that's just really really hard to do because there's so many teams out there who are trying to get um, you know experienced offensive linemen. So, and then you have the running game. The running back room looks pretty strong at this point. Um, it's just going to come down to the wide receivers and the quarterbacks, right? Can can one of these quarterbacks? emerge as a guy that can win you ball games in the SEC can they step up every single one of them uh even the guys with SEC experience are going to have to be better um you know but that's what the off season's for that's what training's for that's what um you know that's what they spend all the all the time doing you know in the the spring and the summer months so um you got to get that you got to get some more guys going in the wide receiver room and then maybe get some reinforcements later on but it's just it's going to come down to development it's going to come down to guys having to work to, to move up the depth chart and, and, and break through. And, and the fact of the matter is no one's really going to know what that looks like and how that works out until we get to September. So, you know, the next you know seven-plus months are going to be a, be a long one for Auburn fans because there's going to be a lot of talk and there's going to be a lot of uh, – a lot of noise about the about the, about those two position groups, but the fact of the matter is, is you're not really going to know anything about them until you actually get them into a game. It's going to be a very, very long time from now. Looking at what makes Auburn fans happy, of course, last night it brought back the appearance of uh, you know chaos and grief for for only a night. But Auburn wins last night over Missouri, fifty-five to fifty-four. Takeaways from last night's win? Yeah, I mean, I you know Auburn. It was the worst offensive game Auburn's played and won in 19 years. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's so rare. It's an extreme outlier. This is a basketball team that had, had scored 80 points and in, in several in a row. I mean, they had a pretty good streak going of 80-plus point games. And then you get to a point where you can't, you know, even break 60. Uh, it just shows you that's kind of an off night. You know, it's an outlier, uh, an anomaly, really. Um, nobody could hit shots from the outside. Nobody could hit shots from the inside at a high rate either. It was – it was a game where I thought Missouri did a great job of, of um, game planning for Auburn defensively, taking away some of the, the easy stuff, especially with Walker Kessler. Auburn's going to have to adjust to that and kind of kind of move off and move forward. I think for everyone who's a jump shooter, it was just not working. Like <laughs> nothing seemed to go in, and it was kind of contagious uh, for everybody. But Auburn played extremely well on defense and extremely well on rebounding. That's what won them the game. Um, you know, Bruce Pearl likes to say defense travels and rebounding will win you championships. 
I mean, both of those things seem very apparent because when you can't throw it in the ocean and, and you're playing against a team away from home um, in a hostile environment, you, you to find a way to win that game is very, very significant. Um, Bruce said it, you know, a team with lesser character would have folded, not would have won that game. I, I tend to agree. I mean, it takes a lot when you're shot. When you're shooting as poor, like take Jabari Smith, for example, when you're shooting as poorly as he does, and that's so rare for him to have such a, a poor shooting night, but you're still playing one of your best defensive games of the season. Uh, it says a lot about a team, and it says a lot about the culture. So, I mean, defense and rebounding, really, really high high uh, caliber for Auburn. You know, I don't think a team that played that physically and that, that, uh, with that much effort, you could say that they were overlooking Missouri or, you know, they were had a hangover from number one. No, they just shot really, really badly, but they did all the other stuff uh, to come out of there with a win. And shooting the basketball poorly comes with playing so many games in a season. We talked about it earlier. You're going to have a bad night shooting the basketball. But, Justin, is this something that you see Auburn struggling with in the future and especially with the game on Saturday against Oklahoma? Or do you think this was a fluke, a one-time thing for this team? I think this poorly, it's a fluke. I mean, we've seen some games this season where, you know, Auburn has not done really well shooting the ball, um, but has been able to overcome some things. Um, you know, with uh, with with the way they get to the basket, the way they you know use Walker Kessler in that in, in that aspect. So you look at um, you look at Oklahoma uh, coming in on Saturday. You know what they're going to get. You're going to get out of them with Porter Moser, uh, former Loyola coach. They're going to play great defense. They've got a really good defense this year. Um, they are not very tall um, and uh, don't necessarily guard inside or, or protect the rim super well. So. You know, I think Auburn will be able, much more than they did against Missouri, you know, kind of get to the basket a little bit more, maybe get some more stuff to open up for Kessler and, and Jabari Smith and, you know, some of those guys to get downhill. Um, and, and then I think there's also just going to be the part of you know, being back at home. You know, Auburn shoots better at home. A lot of teams shoot better at home because uh, they're used to the sight lines. They're used to, to everything in, in the gym. And um, so, I, I, you know, I could see Auburn – you know, playing a having a game where they don't necessarily break eighty right off the bat again against Oklahoma, just because of the way they play defense, that style they play, they usually slow it down. It's one of the slower paced teams in college basketball, um, but I do expect them to bounce back pretty quickly on the offensive end. I think it was just a combination of um, just a bad shooting night, and uh, I think it was a lot, of, a lot had to do with the way Missouri was playing really physically uh, and pressing up. Um, and it wore them down. It wore down their own offense, and Auburn was just Auburn just had more depth and more more uh, game play, uh, game changers down the stretch. We talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show. Break down the Walker Kessler lob play for us that has worked so often. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a simple high ball screen, and sometimes they do it off the side with one of the with one of the wing players. But basically, when you have to go, if you're playing man to man defense and you run and Auburn runs it, you, you have to make a decision. Um, you know, Wendell Green, take Wendell Green for example. If Wendell Green has the ball in his hand, and you set a screen up at the top for him, it's a two-man game right down the middle of the lane. You spread the floor with with your other guys, your two, three, and four, um, to you know give you kickout options, but also create really good space and create natural spots for for guys to attack. Wendell Green is so good off the dribble. Um, he is he is so explosive. He's got a great first step um, that he can get by defenders a lot, and, and so. You have to make a decision if you're a defense on how do you how do you guard it. If you switch, you know you've got you've got Green who could probably beat the bigger man to the basket or lob it up to Kessler on the uh, 
uh, on the on the switch because he's got a mismatch. If you try to double and trap, um, you know Kessler is such a big target at seven one. You can just float the ball up there to him, get it around, and and, and Green's got really good vision that it'll come in. Then uh, you can hedge it, you can try to ice it, you can do so many different things. But you know one of the the one of the only ways I've seen teams be able to slow down Auburn this year. Um, in that in that in that ball screen situation is since Kessler's seven one and so athletic, he runs well, he jumps well for a big man. Um, you got to take it away. You've got to you've got to commit. You know, you got to commit a really tall defender to guard him, and usually have to bring some backside help. Um, so you have to basically at that point say, well, the guards are going to have to beat you, and and Auburn's got plenty of dudes who are creative and 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 can get downhill that. You know that usually works out, you know more often than not. So, you know it's not unguardable. But when a team like Kentucky has such a hard time doing, um, you know, slowing it down, it is pretty tough. And I think Missouri did a good job with their undersized lineup last night of saying, okay, we're going to fight over these screens. Our guards are bigger than than Wendell Green. Our guy, our our, our our big men aren't as necessarily as big as Walker Kessler is. But if we stay at home on Kessler uh, and and you know try to really bump him and make Green try to score in traffic, we'll take that exchange. And, you know, more often than not, it, it won. But there were some several stre- there were several stretches in that game where Kessler uh, was able to make it happen. It's just a really, really simple play, but a really, really good play. And uh, if you collapse too much and commit too many men to slow it down, um, there's a kick-out option usually somewhere uh, where Katie Johnson in the corner or uh, Jabari Smith on the wing or, you know, Alan Flanagan or Devin Cambridge, and they can knock it down. And I like that you brought up Wendell Green finishing at the rim because that's something we saw last night in the Missouri game. They committed to Walker Kessler, and they made Wendell Green finish in the lane over a bigger defender, and that's not something he's had to do a ton of this season. But I like that you brought that up because that's something that I noticed as well. We talked about it on the show yesterday, the MVP to this point in the season on this Auburn basketball team. And you can include last night as well. I said it's Walker Kessler to this point of the season. Ferg, what is your opinion? Who's the MVP of Auburn basketball so far this season? Yeah, it's Kessler. It's Kessler. He's not the best player. He's not the most talented player, but he's the most uh, most valuable um, because he's about an automatic two points whenever he gets the ball near the rim. He's, he's scoring at one of the highest levels in college basketball this season on two-point field goals. Um, he's the best rim protector in the country. You look at it, Auburn's offense is better when he's on the floor in SEC play, and their defense is much better on the floor when he's on the floor in SEC play. And Jabari Smith is an awesome player. Katie Johnson has won you some games. Wendell Green is an incredible. I mean, there's so much talent and so much depth on this team that, you know, you could pick you could pick a top guy, and, and, and you, you really, really can't go wrong with several options. But the fact that Kessler is arguably – the best defender in college basketball from a from a t- statistical standpoint, and one of the most effective guys around the rim at finishing. Um, you know that, that that's just a two way impact that can't be can't be overstated. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think the numbers tend to agree with Kessler, um, and I just you, you watch him when, when seven one athletic, really good shot blocker, really good finisher. There's not very many dudes like that in in, in the country, um, and so he has been just a weapon that has completely changed the way Auburn plays basketball this year. And it's made them such, such a good team. Justin, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content and how they can subscribe. 
Yeah, com. Sign up there, $6 a month or $6 a year. Gets you access to everything we got going on. A lot of basketball, but some football as well. Um, breaking down uh, the Missouri game from last night. Um, had a uh, film room on the on that pick-and-roll play, the, the, the Kessler uh, dunks um, from earlier in the week uh, that you can check out. Uh, we'll have a mailbag on Friday, a new podcast out tomorrow morning. Um, so, Check it out, auburnobserver.com. Uh, once you sign up and subscribe, everything we do gets sent straight to your email inbox. Thank you, my friend. I hope you have a great afternoon. Yeah, y'all be good. Thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. We wrap up hour number one of On the Live when we come back. <laughs> wrap it up, hour number one of the Wednesday edition of On the Live. Big thank you to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us. If you missed any of the show so far, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Let's take a look at what happened in college basketball last night. Of course, Auburn won 55-54 over Missouri. We know all about that, but we were right about both of those SEC Network games last night. We said Auburn could start slow, Missouri could start hot. I wasn't super certain that Auburn was going to cover. The other game we were right about, and I said, look, watch out. This team could beat Alabama. Georgia may be the worst team in the league. One of the worst power conference teams in all of college basketball. They probably are the worst power conference team in college basketball. But I said, the offense isn't what's horrible about Georgia. And if Alabama doesn't come to play, Georgia just might be able to outscore them at home. And guess what happened? They did that, 82-76. to That loss is on Bama, not on Georgia beating them, though. Well, Georgia didn't play like the worst team in college basketball last night. They only had five wins coming in, but, man, they played like they had 20. I mean, they played good basketball last night if you watched the game. Playing at home, they stopped Alabama, and Alabama just doesn't have any effort. Their effort is zero right now. Alabama had chances to pull away. They had leads such as six points at different intervals in the second half. And Georgia's effort kept them in it. It wasn't pretty, but their effort kept them in it. And here's what's bad is Nate Oates, head coach of Alabama. He knows. And he I don't he seems lost like he doesn't know what to do with this team. So get this. Alabama 34 threes, 28 twos. Jeez. Guess what they shot from three? I, I don't know the statistic. I'm gonna say 20%. 27% from okay. three. And yeah. they shot 34 threes to 28 twos. That's that's just not a recipe for success. I don't care what team you are. I mean, now, they out-rebounded Georgia 41-32, but there were also a lot of misses going around. And Alabama did have 16 offensive rebounds. And that is, they are one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the conference. That is what they hang their hat on, offensive rebounding and shooting threes. It is an aggressive approach from the offensive side of the floor, but that hurts them on the back end on defense. And Georgia was taking advantage of that all night long. The issue for Alabama, for me, last night, just in watching the game, was their effort on the defensive end of the floor and closing out possessions. And they just didn't get that side of things done. And it left the door slightly ajar for Georgia. And Georgia eventually found their way to push through. You can't give up 82 points to Georgia and expect to win on the road. I mean, it, and not just Georgia, any SEC Anybody. team in the league or in the country. Auburn last night couldn't expect to give 56 points to Missouri and win with the way they shot exactly. the basketball. And that just speaks to how good the SEC is. Even the bottom tier of the SEC, you've got to come to play every single night and the athletes on Auburn let them win but Alabama just couldn't get it done other things going on at basketball Duke continues to show how shaky they are this season beat Clemson 71 to 69 in a back and forth game Michigan State just got back to the top 10 now they're probably going to fall out after losing to number 24 Illinois 56 to 55 and then what was one of the better games last night 
Number 12, Kentucky in overtime just got past Mississippi State 82 to 74 at the end of the day. Kentucky had too many horses in terms of being able to shoot the basketball and score. Mississippi State was resting on the shoulders of Iverson Molinar's 30 points. Couldn't find more than him, though. And State was unable to stop Oscar Shibway, the 2020 machine. I mean, 20 points, 20 rebounds in every game that he – I mean, he's averaging that every game. I mean, that's just unheard of from a college basketball player. And if you don't have somebody like Walker Kessler, it's hard to stop. couple more scores. Colorado beat Oregon 82-78. Texas beat TCU 73-50. to And then the big one in the nightcap, UCLA beat Arizona 75-59. to That's it for hour number one of On the Line. Hour number two coming up at 3 p.m. On the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390. Or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Good show so far today, my man. Absolutely, man. It's been a blast. Good conversations, good debate. Good to have Ferg on as well. So first hour is good. Let's make it a good one on the second. Let's start with making headlines. Let's see if we can get the hot key to play. <laughs> That's good. Here we go. Making headlines. Making headlines. All right, minor technical difficulties there. We got it worked out. Let's start off with our first headline here, and it is the Auburn-Missouri game. Auburn hangs on to win at Columbia 55-54 to over Missouri. Tough game. Obviously, it was the worst game Auburn's played so far this season. Shooting the ball was obviously extremely poor, but Auburn's just too good. They have too many star players on this team. They're, they're great defensively, and that's the one game we're going to see this year where Auburn doesn't shoot the ball well. So Auburn wins. And the good news is Wendell Green coming back in the game after going down with a knee injury, banging knees. That's the win of the night, Wendell Green coming back. That is huge. And I think that was ultimately – aside. there are a couple of things like Katie Johnson and the Devin Cambridge's rebounding. Wendell Green coming back I think helps Auburn hold on. And that's going to – yeah, there's no doubt. And it's going to help Auburn long term. If Wendell Green goes down and is out for a significant amount of time, that's that's bad for Auburn. because well, he comes their off, best play. And he comes off the bench and does so much for this team off the bench, averaging, what, 16, 17 points a game. So him coming back, being able to go back into the game, that just helped Auburn propel them to this victory. And, and again, we talked about it earlier. This is the worst we're going to see Auburn play, and they still won on the road in the league. You know, that one play, the lob play, that's worth more than 10 points a game when you think about it not just itself but the kickout options as well it could be about 30 if they did it every play I, I said it the other day why not do it until somebody can prove they can stop it because there's three options on that play a window green layup a lob to kessler which is the most obvious and then a kick out to the corner where you've got jabari or flanagan at times cambridge somebody Wendell, kd somebody or i guess Wendell's normally running it but there's always going to be somebody out there you can kick the ball to and make the extra pass. So 
I don't know why you wouldn't run that play until somebody proves they could stop it. I think we noticed last night, though, as soon as Wendell Green got hurt, and they tried to run it one time with Katie Johnson, it was a turnover. I don't think anybody else can run it. And I think it has to be Wendell at the point. I agree, and I think that's his small guard play. I think he's probably grown up playing that way and learned that skill set, and he just throws perfect lobs to to Kessler. And Not that it has to be perfect. You just throw it up there, and he's the tallest guy on the floor. But – you have to run that play to a T, and he does. It's a, it's a point guard mentality, right? And Katie Johnson is a good ball hander, but he's not a point guard. He is a shooting guard. That's just the reality of it. He can handle the basketball, but there's a difference between being able to handle the basketball and being able to run the point. And Katie Johnson's crossover is deadly. We saw that last night. When he starts going between the legs, it's over because he's going to go too right. too late for you. It's, he's going to go right by you. Now, his finishing ability is pretty awesome. I mean, we've seen that over this season. But that's not what Auburn's looking for on offense every time down the floor. You're looking to get the ball, and when Wendell Green's on the floor, get it in his hands. Moving on to our next headline, Alabama falls to Georgia. I mean, we talked about it yesterday. We called it. I mean, we said if Alabama didn't show up, they have a great chance to lose that game. And sure enough, they did. Another road SEC team goes down. And that's just what we've seen. And Auburn was right there on the verge of doing it as well. Alabama not showing up to play their best basketball. No effort. Poor shooting and bad defense leads to a loss on the road. Why did they lose? They just can't seem to get it all clicking and put together. It seems like they're playing individual basketball, and they just can't seem to all click and play on the same string. And Nate Oates is just throwing his hands up because he doesn't know what to do. And he'll say it. He says he doesn't, you know, doesn't know what to do with this team. And when there's no effort on the offensive or defensive side of the ball, you're going to lose. Moving on to our next headline, keeping up with some of the things going on at football, Derek Mason, Oklahoma State. We knew that he was probably going to be out at Auburn. We talked to Ferguson about that earlier, but I'm kind of shocked that he took the OK State job so quickly. We, there were rumors that he was wanting to take that job, but man, he just, I mean, he was just let go a few days ago, four days ago, right? And so he's already taken another job at Oklahoma State and Ferguson said it best it's not really an upgrade I wouldn't necessarily say it's a downgrade but it's just kind of right there in the middle and the fact that he took a job so quickly means he already knew near the end of the season possibly halfway through the season that this wasn't going to work out at Auburn and breaking down this situation this is where I kind of want to spend some time we've talked a lot of basketball on the show so far today this is where I want to spend some time now because we haven't got to talk about this yet there's a lot that has been made about this situation on the defensive side of the football and with the defensive coordinator. And at times people were happy at times people were unhappy. I think for the most part, folks were satisfied with him being here because of his recruiting and the way that he ended the year with Alabama and Houston. Then there were some questions as to who really was the, the mover and shaker on defense over those last couple of games. My question to you is, do you feel more or less comfortable with Jeff Schmetting now running the defense as opposed to Derek Mason? I guess about the same, maybe a little bit more comfortable just because he's a guy coming from within. And like we talked about, we have a good feeling that he was running the defense near the end of the season. Or and was like, at least heavily involved. He had at least heavily involved, had an influence on the play calling and the different formations that were run instead of just rushing three, dropping eight. There was there was actually defensive line push in the Alabama game and the Houston game. And so, yeah, I, I'll say I feel more comfortable just because – it's, it's something more aggressive. different, more aggressive, and at the end of the day, it's not a huge deal to lose a guy after one year, but I like what he's done so far if he did, in fact, have 
some influence on what was going on. So, yeah, I feel more comfortable about it. Are you worried about Auburn becoming Boise? No, not yet. (laughs) Not yet. Why is that? Expound upon that. Because here's the thing. There's a difference between Auburn and Boise. The athletes down here are different. That's just how it goes. The recruiting in the state of Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, the southeast is different than the west coast and that's just how it goes in the midwest and i think brian harson has a has a visual and a vision for this team but i don't think he wants to make it boise because it's there's just different they're they're two different programs two different styles of offense defense and how you run the football program because auburn's a step up now i mean we'll just be honest and i think he's trying to run it that way but no i'm not worried about auburn becoming boise and if anybody out there that's listening wants to call in and give us your opinion on on this or, or the Derek Mason hire, please call in. I, we'd love to hear you. 334-321-1390. I don't think it is because he's recruiting well. Why can't his philosophy of football work here? Why can't that work? It's all about the personnel, right? And if you can get the personnel and the talent to win in the SEC, his plan will work. At the end of the day, he's got to get the personnel. He can't get Boise-level personnel here in the SEC and it work. I don't think it's the plan. I don't think it's the formula. I think it's the the personnel. You got to get the talent in, and the talent is what I mean. Talent's what wins you football games. And I think he's getting it in. You look at the recruiting class; they they finished thirteenth this year, and that's... with the potential to be ten, maybe with signing day. I don't know if yeah. there's a whole lot of more movement. But and, and I said before the like like during the middle of the season and before recruiting really really started and guys started committing, I said a top twenty class for Brian Harson in his first full recruiting trail it was a knockout. Knock, was knocked a, it out of the park. Would it be a miracle? Knocked out of the park miracle. And he's pulled a top 15 with potential to be top 10. That's incredible. In his first year recruiting against Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. I mean, unbelievable. So he's pulling the talent in just one year. And I think by the guys buying in that are already on the team, plus the recruits that he's pulling in, he's doing the right thing for the right reasons. Just give him time. Confidence going into next year? A B level. B, B plus, maybe. Um, Not expectations, just confidence level. Confidence, I... Again, I have confidence that Brian Harson is doing his best job and he's doing the best that he can and he has the best visual and outcome for Auburn football. Confidence whether on our on our record and how we're gonna look, I don't really know. It's a, a bowl game. A, a though, bowl right? game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no doubt. A bowl game. And if for it's sure. not a bowl game, do you have enough to move on? Yeah. Another losing season may be blood in the water for brian harson and that and that i hate to say that but that's just how auburn has become where if you don't make drastic improvements in two years auburn fans don't want to they don't want to hear about it they don't want you to be here they want improvements right now it may be unrealistic but that's what auburn fans want last headline barry bonds roger clemens shut out of the hall of fame what's your take i mean there's two sides of this story right there's the half that says this is un bearable that they didn't make the hall of fame because they're two of the greatest players to ever play the game and there's no doubt about that but the other side says we'll look at their history and their past and there's a reason they didn't make it in my opinion i can see both sides i'm not it's not destroying my view of baseball that they didn't make it but at the same time it does hurt that two of the greatest players to ever play are not going to be in the hall of fame the museum of baseball I struggle with the integrity aspect of it, right? And I was listening to Tim Kirchin uh, talk about this a little bit earlier on ESPN today, and I struggle with those guys being in the Hall of Fame for the integrity of it. And there's a lot of people out there that are really adamant, like you said, unbearable that they couldn't be in the Hall of Fame, right? And they don't care anything about the PEDs like everybody else was doing it. It's like, that doesn't make it okay. 
doesn't make it okay that a ton of other people were doing it. Maybe they shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame either, right? And I, I, I have a hard time with it because they did. They broke the rules. Yeah, and they did, yeah. And, and there's other guys in the Hall of Fame that did the exact same thing. You know, David you know, Ortiz was voted in last night. He got caught back in the day doing it, but we talked about this earlier before the show. He had a chance to make up for it and to show guys like a rod david ortiz Manny show, ramirez they got to keep playing and and rebuild their reputation and destroy the old past where guys like you know bonds and clemens didn't get that opportunity they were at the end if already done you know what i mean and maybe that was their their reasoning you know so it as crazy as it sounds i love baseball i love the mlb i love everything about it but who makes the hall of fame is not what gets me riled up and who's and like it's not my determination and my outlook on Major League Baseball as a whole. It's cool to see who makes it, and I love that David Ortiz made it because I, I love him, big Red Sox fan. But it, it does stink that Bonds and Clemens are not going to be in the Museum of Baseball because they are two of the greatest players to ever do it. But, yeah, they have their flaws. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be back. are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Wednesday edition of the show. Noah Gardner and Jacob Goins with you in the studio. Fun show so far today. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Spectre on the line with us. Spectre, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good. How's it been going with you? Been going very well. Been missing you, Spectre. I haven't heard from you in a little bit. Well, I hadn't heard from you either. You look like you've been going. I think you went out and tried to find yourself a co-host. I think you found one in the jungle, didn't you? I did, but I'll tell you, Spectre, I did have COVID last week. Uh, last week was pretty rough. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I'm doing well today, though. I'm doing great. It's all, it was, it was fortunately mild. I'm doing great. Did you have your vaccine before you got COVID? I did. I did. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, listen, um, I'm glad to see you got a new co-host. Jacob is his name, right? That's right. Uh, welcome to the team. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yep. Glad to have you. Um, yeah. I was talking to Bill about Mason. He first, Bill Cameron told me that uh, Mason was going to Oklahoma State, and I talked to him again. He said, no, he's not. And I hear today he's going to Oklahoma State. That's right. Uh, Oklahoma State announced the hiring today for him to go and be defensive coordinator. It's uh, th- This is something that's been about, I feel like, a month in the making for Derrick Mason to leave. I feel like this is something that we've heard about for a while. There was even you know some tweets out there. Like I think Marquise Burks tweeted not that long ago. He said, coaches – are entering the transfer portal, uh, you know, are, are entering it like it's the transfer portal. And that was around the time you heard some rumblings. And he may or may not have been talking about Derrick Mason, but there were enough coaches leaving at that time where I was like, yeah, Derrick Mason is probably gone. Yeah, well, I'm not sorry to see him go. I, I wasn't a big fan of his when he was at Vanderbilt. And when I heard he was coming to Auburn, I said, oh, no. And uh, well, the proof is in the pudding now. But I can't understand if he left Auburn on his own, why would he leave a Power 5 Class A national championship team to go to Oklahoma State? 
I think that, and this is just my vibe that I think a lot of people have had through the season, and this is where I kind of put myself, this is the camp that I'm in, I think there were some disagreements between Brian Harson and Derek Mason and Mike Bobo. Like I, I think they had their view on what they wanted out of the offensive defense, and I think Brian Harson had his. And I think it was a situation where you had two former head coaches. You had you had too many you had too many leaders, not enough followers, right? And I think there were a lot of strong personalities in the room, and for whatever reason, the personalities just didn't mix, and so they they didn't like working there, right? And so I, so I think they wanted to go and find something else, and it's not like there's ill will or bad blood or anything like that. It's not like Derek Mason hates Auburn or, or my Bobo hates Auburn or anything like that. And I don't want to speak for them because I don't know. This is all me guessing and speculating, but I would imagine that it's just a situation where it just didn't work out here. The personalities didn't quite fit and they wanted an opportunity elsewhere. And so it just didn't work out at Auburn. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, uh, Bobo, I, I was looking forward to having his son on the offensive line, but uh, I guess it, wherever dad goes, he goes. That's right. And, uh, you know, he switches his commitment to Georgia, and it's like, well, it, will he end up ever playing at Georgia? You know, it's very possible. I mean, that, I want it. Obviously, Auburn fans want him, right? Because you need bodies on the offensive line, and I think he could play. Uh, he's going to get some great development at Georgia, I'll tell you that. And, and just being objective, let's be honest, who's had the better offensive lines over the last couple of years? And, and part of that's recruiting, too, but I think Georgia's a little bit better at developing that side of the football than than Auburn has been, and so I think it's going to work out for him there. It would have been nice to have him, though. You're right. Yeah. Well, switching gears, I agree with you about uh, Barry Bonds. Uh, he broke the rules. He knew he was breaking the rules, and I don't even recognize him as a home run king. Hank Aaron is a home run king in, yeah. my, in my world. And, uh, you know, if you're going to cheat the system and expect to get rewarded for it, you're in a, you're in a different world. And there's nothing wrong with that stance. That is a completely legitimate stance for a lot of baseball fans to have because they feel it as a disrespect to the game of baseball for such a historic game. And Well, baseball is the only sport where anybody defends someone who cheated in the game. Yeah. It's the only sport. Like everybody, and I know they didn't make the Hall of Fame, but there are legitimately people out there that said, I know those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, who cares? And it's like, if this happens in any other sport, they get banned. Yep. Banned, fined, banned, everything. And... It's crazy that baseball is just like a different animal when it comes to this type of thing because of its of baseball's long history. And but no, there's there's nothing wrong with that stance at all, man. Yeah. All right, guys. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Spectre. Hope you have a good day. You too. Now, with Spectre on line with us, you got any more thoughts on that? No, I mean, like I said before, it doesn't ruin my day or my life or my view of baseball that those guys didn't make it in would it have been cool for them to be in the hall of fame yeah because they are a part of history but maybe not hall of fame level my thing is and i get the whole point jeff passan said this of espn yesterday he's like they got to be in the i can't believe they're not in the museum of baseball right it's like they're still in baseball's history though you know should they be should they be look the hall of fame is a place to recognize and to um trying to think of a good word for this it's a place to recognize and honor someone for their achievements in the game of baseball just because they're a major part of baseball history does that mean that we should be honoring them and recognizing them and and putting it on a pedestal right don't i think it's i think it's kind of crazy a little bit not just i know that's not what you're saying here but i think some people have dropped the hall of fame now to a level of it just being a museum it's not a museum i mean it is but it's not a museum it is if you're in the hall of fame 
because you were you were th- that guy, you were that dude, you were that good, right? It's an honor. It's not just a it's not just a place to show stuff that happened in the game of baseball, right? But at the same time, what is a museum when you think about it? It's a walk through the past and the history of the game of baseball. And those and those guys but should, there can be things in museums that, that are not honorable, pretty. right? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's not pretty. There's some non-pretty things in museums, but history is history. That's and why that's, I think, though, the Hall of Fame isn't a museum. I yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. The Hall of Fame is its own thing, but when it comes to the history of baseball, you can't cut out no Bonds and Clemens because they are extremely important in the history of baseball. But I like that the separation of it, if you will. I mean, it's the 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 Hall of Fame is a place to honor. It's it's an accol- it's an accolade. It's a it's a reward. It's, it's an achievement, right? And it's I'm trying to figure out the right way to put it. I mean, there, there's so many instances in history. Where clearly that person is in a museum, okay? Richard Nixon is in textbooks. <laughs> he is. He's in textbooks. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's an accolade or an honor for Richard Nixon just because he's in a textbook. Yeah, well, you just said it. The Hall of Fame is an honor. It's an honor to be recognized and named in the Hall of Fame. And there's a, there's a reason that it's only a select few out of the thousands of players that have been great throughout the history of baseball and for any other sport as well. Being in the Hall of Fame is an honor. A-Rod, some of the other players. David Ortiz makes it in. What about A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, some of these other guys down the line? A, uh, you know, David Ortiz got in on the first ballot. Okay, And, and I knew that was going to happen. I mean, and, man, if you look at some of the numbers, like, historically, David Ortiz doesn't have near the numbers as a lot of these guys do, but his impact on – and that's a big thing, too. Impact he was also a winner. On baseball, and he wins. I mean, yeah, the dude won rings, three of them, to be exact, and – he, his impact on the game of baseball was so big. That's why a guy like A-Rod, he's going to make it in too because without A-Rod, the Yankees in this generation wouldn't have been what they were. What about Kurt Schilling? Drops, uh, we don't have to get into all the politics and everything of it, but Kurt Schilling drops 12%. Big drop, 71 to 59% on his ballot. Yeah, that one's uh, that one's that one's tough. I'm not... I don't really have anything to say on that. I, I'm confused more than anything. I, I guess I know why they did it, but I don't agree with that one. I think besides the political stuff, the dude... Are his numbers good enough to get into the Hall of Fame is the question that you need to ask. Yes. Did his baseball career, not stuff after it, but his baseball career, okay, did like was that worthy enough of him being in the Hall of Fame? If you ask me, yeah. I mean, there's in my opinion, yes. So, yeah, he should he should be in there for his baseball Nothing else. Head back to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390. Steve, how's it going? I'm good. Um, I went to the Hall of Fame two summers ago. Okay. And the Hall of Fame is actually divided into two sections. One is the museum, and the other one is the hall, where the bust of the players that have been elected into the Hall of Fame sit. Right. I think what the Hall of Fame needs to do is in the museum, they need to open a room that that is dedicated to the all-time leaders. So the all-time home run leader, even though I don't technically believe it, is Barry Bonds, doing his dividend on Barry Bonds. The all-time home of the hits leader is Pete Rose, doing his dividend on Pete Rose. RBI leader, I don't even know who it is anymore, winning this pitcher, I think it's still Cy Young. You know, whoever is the career leader in the major categories, display that in the museum. They don't have to be in the hall. They don't have to get a bus. They'll be in the museum. It will show the history of baseball. And but they broke the rules. I I don't care about Bonds and Clemens and all them. Everybody was doing it. You know, baseball did it for the money. We all enjoyed it. 
I do care about Pete Rose because it's in every clubhouse that you don't gamble on baseball. And he, he flaunted that, and he's never, ever said that he did it. He's never, ever said he was sorry. Um, I, I believe that Rose will never get in the Hall of Fame. I do believe that Clemens and, and Bonds will eventually get put in by the Veterans Committee after a lot of these self-righteous uh, writers die off. But they could take care of this by now by putting them in the museum part, but they're not technically in the Hall. It's two different things, actually, in the building. Yeah, I like I like how you bring that up, that it's two separate things, the Hall of Fame, the, the literal Hall of Fame, and then the museum. Now, in the museum, if you say that you put guys like Bonds and Clemens in there and you claim that Bonds is the home run leader, if you want to talk about the history, do you include the drug use as part of that history in the museum? Oh, absolutely. It's an, it's an exhibit. You, you put a touchscreen video thing that shows us Pat size at seven and a quarter, and then at eight and a half when he was a giant. I mean, listen, nobody liked Ty Cobb, but he's you know he's three sixty seven. It's still the the highest career average ever. There's not that much of Cobb in the museum. His bust is in the is in the Hall of Fame, but nobody liked him when he was elected. I mean, he was Ty Cobb was not unanimous to the Hall of Fame. Nobody was until I guess uh, the relief pitcher for the Yankees because they hated him. I mean, the sports writers are too involved in it. It's too personal. But, I mean, it would be very easy just to put in that museum just a wing that says these are the all-time leaders. Pick your categories. Uh, I think Ricky Henderson's still the all-time base leader. So Ricky Henderson would be in there. Ty Cobb, Barry Bonds. Um, I guess it would be mm-hmm. Cy Young would be the, the pitching. And you figure it out. And you could have you know, other sections. And then put a section in there that says, hey, during this time or through the decades. But you don't have to put their bus in the hall, yeah. which yeah. to me is sort of the like the hollow ground of the place. The rest of it is really cool. I went with my father, who was 83 at the time, my two older brothers. Literally, when we got into the bus, I broke for Tom Seaver, my all-time favorite player. My brother broke for Reggie Jackson. My other brother broke for Bob Gibson. And my dad found Joe DiMaggio. That, I mean, that's, we just broke away. It was like it was, we silently said, let's go find our favorite guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And that, that was the way it was done. I just, I'm tired. Listen, the, the baseball hall of fame has been watered down by some of the people they've let in. I'm sorry. You, you, there used to be a thing: 500 home runs. You know, 300 lifetime average was that. Uh, but to not have these guys that technically hold the record anyway in there does water down the history of the sport. But I'm beginning to believe they don't really think about the history much anymore because. They haven't been real smart in a lot of their decisions, and you know it's just it's just where they're going. I mean, I um, I think Ramirez and I know Ramirez though, Big Poppy deserved it yesterday, probably the only guy in the ballot. But there's even questions about him. I mean, but he's a, you know 500 career home runs, three World Series, a couple of MVPs, and you know, 286, 286 batting average, which I was surprised it was that high. <laughs> but um, they, they got to do something about. I don't even know how many bonds hit that year. I mean, was it 73? I don't know. Um, and the, the fact that he is, he hits the most home runs. He swung the bat the best. Hey, uh, Steve, we got to head to a break, my man. We appreciate your call. Have a good evening. You too. Appreciate it, Steve. That was Steve on the line with us. Always love talking baseball with some folks. Absolutely. And that, he made a great point. He made a great point. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 
30 minutes left in the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Jacob Goins with you on the Wednesday edition of the show. Fun show so far today. We've talked about a lot. Just got some extended time talking baseball. I love it. Thank you for the calls from Steve and Spectre. It's good to hear from you guys. I hate cutting callers off. We just, I'm sorry. We had to go to a network break. Sorry, Steve. We'd love to hear from you again sometime, though. Please call in. Absolutely, man. I love talking baseball in January. We don't get to do it a whole yeah. lot, so love the discussion. Of course, we don't know how long it's going to be till we have baseball again. Yeah, you're right. They've met a couple times this week, and nothing has come out of it. And Who's your favorite baseball team? Because right. I know you're a Packers fan in the NFL. <laughs> do you, yeah. you like professional sports, I right? Do. Like yeah, You like to watch them. Yeah, you care. I love professional sports. Okay. I'm a Red Sox fan, have been since I was four years old. How did that happen with I, you living in Ohio? So I literally, I liked their colors. I was like, wow, blue and red, that's kind of cool. And yeah, I that liked happens it. to and, a lot of people. And my, my best friend growing up that lived right down the street was a Yankees fan. So those two things. So you got to be a rival. So I, I was like, cool, let's choose the Red Sox. And I've been with them ever since. And I like the good. Braves and the Indians. Yeah, I, I like, like the both. Braves being local, of course. I, yeah. I like they're my second team. I've you been, want to root for them? I've been to probably twenty Braves games in my life, and I I love the Braves. Love watching them win the World Series. But number one is the Boston Red Sox, no doubt. I just realized that I can't that it's not the Indians anymore. It's the Guardians. It is the Guardians. Yes. yes. How do you like? I love the Guardians logo. Yeah, oh, I yeah. like it. I think yeah. it's a cool logo. It is. Now, it's I don't sweet. like a ton of the font and the script that they've got going on. I think they could have done something a little bit different there but it's still it's still very cleveland indians-esque of course i mean the last five letters of the word is still indian uh, it still sounds Ends. like indians right <laughs> yeah. uh so like there wasn't a whole lot that they had to change there i like the logo a lot yeah. i think it's cool i wanted them to go with something like cleveland rockers i thought that would have been neat yeah um just, and the reason for that is because of the rock and roll hall of fame in cleveland fair enough so there is that that tie there people are like what, what rockers i know there's rocky so you can't i know there's a lot that that would be very mm. close but i can imagine right now uh, a really cool logo in my in my mind that's kind of like a classic 1980s kind of neon sign like rock just have theme. like a guitar or something yeah you know, something like that would be Some, cool. something sick yeah you know? yeah well let me ask you this and I'll, then i'll give you mine who's your favorite baseball player of all time that's tough. That is tough. Because I've changed with the decades. I really have. And baseball is definitely not my favorite sport. I don't get into it as much as other folks do. Uh, playing it, it was my favorite sport. That's why I pl- played growing up. But as far as having a favorite player, that always changed. Um, I liked Matt Kemp a lot. Um, I grew up also liking the Dodgers to a degree before they went bankrupt and everything. And there was that team that had Matt Kemp, Andre Ethier, James Loney, oh, yeah. um, Billingsley. I'm trying to think. Kershaw came after that. Um, who Russell Martin was the catcher back then. I mean, that, that was a good Dodgers team. Watched them play the Braves back in the early 2010s or late 2000s. Um, so I, I did have some favorites on that team. Um, I always kind of I loved Albert Pujols growing up. I had MVP baseball 2004, so I loved Albert Pujols. Um, he's a Christian as well, and I, I love some of the stories that I've heard about him, and so that's always made me kind of gravitate towards Albert Pujols. I do like him a lot. So my Tim favorite, Hudson, of course, is a pitcher. Auburn, oh, yeah. Auburn guy. Yeah, Tim Hudson. Love him from Auburn. But my favorite player of all time, and it's crazy because a lot of his career I didn't even watch but until – you know highlights and stuff like that but king griffey jr man that, oh man i did a project in school on king griffey jr that is my yes that is my guy oh I, yes i love king griffey jr i got to watch him play when i was young when he was playing in cincinnati when he was a red 
and I got to watch him play a couple games there at Great American Ballpark. Man, I mean, just the the prettiest swing you will ever see in an athlete playing baseball. Man, I I loved him. I loved his energy. Loved his play. His swing, his outfield play, I mean, everything about him, just unbelievable. Freddie's one of my favorites now. Freddie Freeman, that is. Talk about beautiful swings. It, to me, it's the prettiest cut in baseball right now. Um, just the the bat speed and, and how smooth it is. It's it's amazing. I, I, I like I like Freddie Freeman a lot. I think he's a great ambassador for the for the Braves. I've liked um, David Ortiz growing up as a Red Sox well, fan. Of course, obviously. you have to. You know, and Mookie Betts is still one of my favorite players right now in the game. Even when he left Boston, I was depressed, but he's still just an unbelievable talent, man. He he can he the can do it Red all. Scott, the old school Red Sox. And I shouldn't say old school. I mean the the two thousand the early two thousand tens and then the late two thousands Red Sox uh, yeah, were fun. Yeah, oh four is good too. I mean Johnny 04 Damon, team, yeah. twenty ten, twenty thirteen. Those were those were the World Series years, man. They, I mean, of course they were fun because of the World Series, but there was some there were some good guys on those teams. Dustin Pedroia, Kevin Euclid, think back. Who else? Jacoby. What, why am I forgetting that name? Uh, Jacoby. Who he he played for the Yankees and the Red Sox. Oh, um, uh, what's his name? Man, now you got me tripped up but but you know what team i'm thinking about right now 100 yeah the team that just had it all going for them yeah you know what i mean and they played what they played the cardinals that year in the world series and man and the the video with david ortiz hitting the bomb the grand slam over the wall where the dude goes running back and flips over the wall in the outfield (laughs) it gives me goosebumps just talking about it man i've watched that video on youtube probably a thousand times all right, moving away from some baseball stuff going on. We've talked a lot of Auburn today. I want to go back to the basketball game a little bit yesterday against Missouri. Auburn found every way that they could possibly lose a basketball game but still found the one or two reasons why they can still win even when it's that bad. This Auburn team found a way to gut through their worst performance of the season, one of their worst perform. It is their worst performance of the season. It would have rivaled some of the worst performances of last season. But because the defense found their way through, I mean, you see the depth on the team. Every player was wrong on that team except for KD Johnson and Walker Kessler. And it, 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 they found at least one. They just had to find one guy to be able to push them through. That's how good this team is. And that just speaks to the talent level on this team and how deep they are. And Walker Kessler, KD Johnson, yes, they start. But, I mean, they, they carry this team for 40 minutes whether they're on the floor or not. And, and it's crazy that they were the only two guys that did anything significant. They were the only guys that scored double-digit points yesterday, last night for Auburn. And they carried Auburn to a win on the road in the SEC. And it's just it's unbelievable to see how much talent is on this team and how well they can spread it out. This brings us into our weekly segment that I started a couple of weeks ago, Hot Take Wednesday. Now I've got a co-host who can actually grade my hot takes and i'll grade yours as well we're going to do it with a wing sauce so here we go let's start it off hot take wednesday hot take wednesday i wanted to get to basketball we started talking about baseball i wanted to get to basketball before i got the hot take wednesday because my hot take is basketball related all right hit me with it auburn won't lose again until it's the postseason until it's the postseason as in sec tournament yeah not that they won't win the SEC tournament. I think they can. I'm just going to say Auburn will not lose again in the regular season. I don't think this is going to happen again. And granted, Auburn may play another team that just goes absolutely stupid shooting the basketball. 
draining threes all over the place. But I, I still think Auburn's defense eventually, when Auburn has been down double digits to teams, you never got uncomfortable. You're like, they're going to figure it out. You didn't feel uncomfortable this weekend against Kentucky. You're like, they're going to figure it out. And why is that? Because the defense does not allow teams to shoot like that. It doesn't allow them to go off like that. And Auburn has always been able to find their footing on the offensive end. Last night proved, even when everything was wrong about Auburn, they could still find a way to be right. They're that deep. Even when everybody is that bad, even when Jabari Smith is that bad, they can still find somebody to get them over the line. And granted, it was against Missouri, but I don't think they're ever going to be this bad offensively again this year. I don't see them losing to the regular season for it. Now, could they get beaten in the SEC tournament? I really hope the first loss doesn't come until the, in the NCAA tournament either. I just don't see this team losing again in the regular season. That's a good take, and I'm going to grade it with a mild. So Only if, mild? So really? Getting, yeah. So if I thought getting, it was hot. No, I mean, it, it is, but – and mild, hey, for the right person, mild can be hot. Yeah, but. I don't take mild very well. I really don't. <laughs> I don't it, speed on the roadways, and I don't take mild <laughs> hot sauce very well. So it's it, I, that puts it right down the middle. It's not honey barbecue sweet, but it's not blazing hot either. And here's why I say that. Auburn is better than every team in the country. But how they played last night and how they've been playing this season, getting down by double digits on the road in the SEC, it's going to come back and bite them if they don't fix it. Now, if they fix it, yeah, you're you're right. They're not going to lose again. I also think they're going to get comfortable being number one. Last night, not being number one, that, that makes you uncomfortable. And then, like, the seeds of doubt in your are in your brain at halftime when you're – and then the second half starts and you're not making your shots that you typically make, not making the jump shots, then the seeds of doubt are in there. And that's why I said earlier in the show that they just needed to win and get back to Auburn Arena because they're going to be comfortable from here out. Yeah, and – your take is hot in the sense that there's still what 20 games left in the season that's a lot to ride on man so we'll see we'll see how your take goes. it's a little bit under that it's like 14 eh, left yeah it's still 15 something like that but it's that's 14 a lot of, in the regular season that's a lot of basketball with a winning streak that's now up to 15 16 games in a row that they've got to carry with them every single night actually i think it's only like 10 or 11 left in the regular season my man oh am i that far off i, I, I think it is because auburn's now eight no in conference play and you play 18 conference games. Well, then I'm so, very And off. then you've got the Oklahoma game. So there's 11 games left in regular season play. Well, that's still a lot of basketball. That's though. a bold take. And a lot though. of tough games on the road as well. At Mississippi State, at Tennessee, at Arkansas. What's your take? So my hot take is this. When it comes to SEC basketball, right now on Joe Lenardi's Bracketology, there are six teams in in Bracketology with a potential to have nine SEC teams in on Selection Sunday. My hot take is that all or is not Auburn? The SEC will have less than six teams in the NCAA tournament. I agree with you, man. I don't even know. I, I understand that a hot take now. I think it's a hot take to most people out there because they think the SEC is good this year. SEC is not the best conference in basketball. It's probably the second best conference in basketball because I, I think there are others that aren't very good either. Like, I don't think the ACC is as good as it typically is. Nor is the Big Ten. The Big Ten, with Michigan being down as bad as they are, Michigan State somehow being the best team in the conference, that says something because Michigan State, I don't think, is as good as your typical top 10, 10, top 10 team is. So, I, I, the SEC will cannibalize itself. And that's exactly what my point is. The SEC is just going to continue to beat itself up throughout conference play we've seen it already and it's only going to get worse if you look at on the bubble florida's the last four in as an sec team the first four out arkansas mississippi state next four out texas a&m those none of those teams may make it at all sec will have less than six teams maybe all the way as low as four in the ncaa tournament let's go through that then before i give you a grade on it i think auburn's gonna make it obviously 
trying to find every SEC team that's in the field right now. I think Auburn's going to make it. Kentucky. Kentucky's going to make it. LSU. LSU's going to make it. They have Bama's a five seed right now. If Bama doesn't fix their problems. That's wrong, yeah. If Bama doesn't fix their problems and they continue to lose SEC games, they could be on the bubble when it comes to Selection Sunday. I think Alabama's going to make the tournament. I think Tennessee's going to make the tournament. So there's five. So you're saying none of the bubble teams make it. And you're saying Arkansas, Florida, Mississippi State, none of those teams make it in, right? And Texas A&M as well. That's my prediction. Five. I don't, I don't think Florida's going to make it. I don't either. Um, I, don't either. I, I think Arkansas is going to make it. I think Arkansas will make it. That's six. And I think Mississippi State's got a shot to make it. They've got some work to do. A&M's only got what four losses right now they're gonna have to collapse they really are i'm gonna go with it's hotter than mild because the volume's there the volumes are and i think arkansas is getting better maybe state drops out i don't know they're barely out though i i think the volume's there i I will i'm trying to think of a something hotter than mild give me give me a take hotter than mild i don't know what do they got like the mango habanero that's uh that's hotter than mild isn't it yeah, we'll go with that. Mango habanero. It's sweet. I could like it. Yep. Okay. Yep, there you but go. But it is a little hot. It is a little hot. It, and I'm telling you, it could be as low as four teams because of, of how the SEC is beating itself up right now already, halfway through conference play, it could be down as low as four teams in the SEC or in the NCAA tournament. Auburn, Kentucky, LSU. Tennessee or Bama. Tennessee or Bama. There's mm. your take. There it is. Man. And probably Tennessee would make it between those two, I think. I just don't see all those teams falling apart like that. I think Arkansas's catching their their stride right now. I think they're going to shatter Ole Miss tonight. Lions five to Arkansas on the road. Forget about it. That is going to be a massacre. There's your other hot take then. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it, man. I, I think Arkansas destroys Ole Miss tonight. All right, I do. Well, I think Ole Miss is that bad. We're opening the show tomorrow with that if they don't. And I'm going <laughs> to let you hear it. So what's your take on that? You think You think Ole Miss keeps it close tonight? Not necessarily close, but they got a chance. Is it? Where's the game at? Ole Miss? It's in Oxford, yeah. Okay. Well, then that gives them a shot because we've seen how SEC road games have gone already this year. I talk about it a lot, I feel and like. And we've seen Ole Miss. True. They're inconsistent. They've played some teams tough there. Look how they played Auburn. Yeah, look how they played half. Tennessee. Yeah. And Thompson Bowling Arena. Yeah. Man, it's, you just don't know what Arkansas you're getting. Or not. Man, or Ole Miss. Or, really. or, yeah. yeah. So, I wouldn't necessarily say a blowout, but I would expect Arkansas to win that game. But don't count Ole Miss out just yet. I'm going double-digit win for Arkansas tonight. All right. I will take single digits. What else is going on at basketball tonight, my man? We got some Florida, good ones Florida, Tennessee. Another hot take candidate here. I said Tennessee could lose. Yeah. Is, are you sticking with that? You got Florida winning I that think, game on I the road? I think Tennessee wins. Vescovi is too much of a difference maker shooting the basketball. I think there's too many offensive difference makers at Tennessee, despite how poor the offense will be. At the end of the day, Tennessee probably doesn't get above 70 points tonight. This is going to be a low-scoring basketball game. Two defensive teams like to slow the game down a little bit. I think that's how this game plays out, and it's probably going to be close, but when you talk about who's got the horses to actually score the basketball, taking Kennedy Chandler, John Fulkerson, Plavšić for them has come a long way. I haven't even mentioned Vescovi, right? Uh, Ziegler. I mean, I'm going on and on. Like You think that how good Tennessee's roster looks that they would be better than they are offensively. They just haven't. They, there's been dysfunction there all year, though. Are they back fully healthy now, Tennessee? Just about, yeah. Okay. Well, I would take Tennessee, but Florida plays to the game of let's score less points and see who can score last, basically. And <laughs> the last game of the night in the SEC, 8 o'clock on SEC Network, Texas A&M and LSU. You were talking about A&M only having four losses, counted as five tonight. And they don't have any good wins no, right now. they don't. They don't. And so you can count tonight on the road at LSU. Go ahead and count that. But how much belief do you have in LSU who's lost three games in a row? 
They get it. They get it back on track tonight. Their LSU. offense is scary bad right now. 58, it, it 67, is. and 50 over their last three games. But if they can get that going, their defense is still good enough yeah. to where I don't know if A&M can just – I don't know if A&M can score the basketball well enough against a team like LSU. So, I got LSU at home tonight easily over to A&M. I've been impressed with A&M's performances against Kentucky and Arkansas. That Those are two of the better teams in the league. And I think A&M belongs there. They just got to find a way to get a win. A&M beats LSU here. I think they'll they'll make the tournament. They'll show me that they have enough to make the tournament. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good that's a good take, no doubt. Let's take a quick break here and wrap up the show. Welcome back to On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins and Noah Gardner here with you with the last what five or so minutes of the show man what a discussion we've had today noah that's right it's been a good show today man i've really enjoyed doing it three days into the new era of on the line and it's good to have you here with me and talking all things auburn as well as things going on in college basketball it's been a blast man three days in and it's i'm two hours every day flies by i could do this for eight <laughs> hours if they gave us long enough that's right and coming up after us it'll be the drive with bill cameron and dan pack four to six it's a great show listen in on them too they got good things to say and I'm just I'm enjoying my time here so far. Looking forward to a long future here. Ramping up the show today, talking some Auburn football. Derek Mason going back to the defensive side of the ball. You're more comfortable with Schmetting? I am. I am. And we talked about it a little bit earlier. I like Schmetting, and it seems like he's had his hand in the defense the last few weeks of the season. I liked what we saw, and the players are responding so far. And Obviously, Brian Harson doing what is best for Auburn, for the program, for the defensive side of the football, and he's doing what he feels is best. Do you, how do you expect the defense to be different next year compared to what we saw for the first 11 games? Wink, wink. Just more aggressive, more aggression rushing the passer and sending more than three guys towards the quarterback because obviously that did not work. Sending three guys and dropping eight in coverage got Auburn destroyed in a lot of games on the defensive side of the football at Mississippi State. So I, I just look for more aggression on the defensive line. I look for more pressure, more blitzing, and, yeah, just more more aggression. That's all I can say. Before we get to final take, and as this comes onto the TV, I know we're kind of bouncing around here as we get to the end of the show. Aaron Rodgers came out of hiding for the first day to talk about what's next for him and the Green Bay Packers, and it's a lot of coach or player speak that you would expect. Just, you know, we're going to evaluate it day to day. And he talked about how he wants to wait and see what a couple of the key players on the offense are going to do, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, those kind of guys, and see what they do first before he makes a decision. In my opinion, I think he's gone. Unless those guys stay and really want him back and he can make an agreement with the Packers, but it just doesn't look it doesn't look good. It didn't look good last season, and somehow the Packers organization pulled it off, but I don't think they go 2-0 here. <laughs> you know, so where do you think he goes? anywhere outside of green bay wisconsin i don't know i mean las vegas he could go to denver pittsburgh possibly cleveland no you're not gonna get that lucky man i'm sorry would i be that lucky though yes would i <laughs> would you you're telling me you don't take him if he, if oh, he tries? i would, I okay. would. but right. i i said that with odell i was very uneasy when odell came i'm so glad and i we said didn't get oh him. no oh no this is going to be bad for the locker room eventually and then it did 
And but I was also like, look, he's talented. We got to take this guy. He's going to help us, right? And yep. and some other players came along. I think because Odell came. I think you helped build the prestige of the Browns organization because Odell came. That year was awful. His first year there, Browns didn't even Browns had a worse year than the year they had before. And that was Freddie Kitchen's first year, right? And so I, I'm still afraid of the of the Aaron Rodgers locker room mess. You have, yeah. to, you have to admit, there's drama every year. There's drama every year, and he likes it. That's the problem. He he creates it, and he and he just throws himself in it because he likes it. And also and the think is, it helps his job security. Yeah, it does. But he's good enough to where he can do that, and he still can do whatever he wants to do. So, but is it good enough to win Super Bowls? Once apparently, but. I don't know. But wait, was he that drop drop? It wasn't that dramatic back then, though, no. either. No, it wasn't. And so I don't know, man. I think he's gone from Green Bay. I don't know where he's going to go. He's not into where, my division, not he, to Pittsburgh. Yeah, he doesn't know where he's going to go. Heck, he's not going to. He won't know until the day before he decides, man. He's that kind of a guy. Something about San Francisco seems like a good spot. I know why, because he's from California. It just seems, and that's where he's been linked a lot. Or Denver. Or Denver. Or Las Vegas. I think any of those three but franchises. What about Derek would Carr, be, man? Yeah, but man, there's just a that's a step up with Aaron Rodgers coming in. I know, but there's just no loyalty, no loyalty, and no, I get it. It's I a get business, it. Man. it. It is the business. It's a business. Oh, all right. You got a final take? We won't play the hot key because we got 30 seconds. You got a final take for the show? Auburn's going to be just fine. Football, basketball, athletics in general. Auburn fans, we're going to be just fine. Yeah, basketball is definitely going to be fine. Basketball right? is definitely fine, but football too. Like, give Brian Hart some time. Athletics, they're in a good spot right now. I don't see Auburn losing again. That's my final take until the postseason, if they lose. Well, I hope you're wrong because I don't want them to lose in the postseason. So. That's true. That's true. Uh, unless it's the SEC tournament. I could take the loss yeah, of the SEC okay. tournament if it means they win the Natty. If that's what it takes, then absolutely. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.